Hello and good morning to the lovely Daniel, who is over in Canada. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. So, hi, yes. Um, hello, everybody from, from Canada. Um, I'm currently in BC. It's uh, a balmy minus 16 today and uh, yeah, very snowy out there. So, um, Daniel is my name, but I actually write under Morgan Green. Um, I write the Detective Jamie Johansson series, which is set in Sweden. So I'm a British author living in Canada, writing um, about a British detective living in Sweden. And there is some sense to that, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. But um, yeah, for now, all you got to know is it's uh, Scandi Noir with a kind of, you know, British-Swedish sort of uh, spin, you know, in the, in the vein of uh, Will Dean or kind of uh, Maria Radolso. That's, uh, that's it in a nutshell. And we are talking on the eve of the release of your latest book. So would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, uh, yeah, that's correct. It's, uh, it's coming out on New Year's Eve. <clears throat> it's called Death Chorus. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a new kind of start for Jamie. Uh, so I tend to write uh, the Jamie series in like, trilogies almost. And the first um, <clears throat> kind of trilogy in Sweden started Angel Maker. And then uh, Rising Tide and Old Blood formed that kind of, uh, you know, the Stockholm saga and kind of, you know, referring, it, referring to it behind closed doors. Uh, not in public because that sounds very embarrassing, really. But, um, yeah, so, and then after the kind of the events of the last book, you know, we jumped forward in time a little bit. And, um, you know, JD's making a home for herself in a, a new sort of quiet uh, town. And she's recovering from the kind of, um, you know, the damage and the injury of, of the kind of the last case in the trilogy both kind of uh, physical and mental and emotional and yeah she just wants um you know a couple of uh, a couple of months or years maybe to put herself back together and get herself right and kind of you know figure out who she is and what she wants to do but uh you know as it always goes with these kinds of stories uh she doesn't really get much time for that uh, because um somebody turns up dead and it's not just you know an accident or anything it's a real kind of grisly murder case and um, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a teenage boy that's found, and he's found on a, a kind of what looks like a sacrificial altar, and he's got kind of strange cuts all over his body, and you know he's got a crow wedge down his throat, and you know it's rumblings all around town of kind of a local ghost story. Um, you know the King of Crows, and it's kind of creepy, and you know it's uh, it's a real kind of foray really into psychological kind of. Uh, crime thriller more so than just kind of a straight procedural which was you know kind of what Angel Maker was and um, yeah it's just really creepy and it kind of takes a lot of inspiration from like Hitchcock's The Birds and you know uh, a lot of inspiration as well from Mo Hader who we sadly lost this year and um, yeah it's just it's just fun you know from start to finish there's uh, you know lots of humor and lots of kind of you know uh, banter as well between her and her new partner so where uh, where Angel Maker was a kind of very serious, very kind of like plodding classic Scandi Noir affair. This one is, you know, still got all that real kind of, um, you know, uh, dark, gritty kind of Scandi undertones. But, you know, it comes in with more of a enjoyable kind of light, uh, kind of humorous side, as well as a kind of more scary kind of chiller, thriller, suspense, pseudo kind of horror side as well. And, um, yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> you know it's 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 basically a Long Island iced tea of a novel. 
that's that's probably the best way to kind of you know sum that up so um, and I've been lucky enough to read it, and it's incredible, as all your books are. Um, but this one particularly was awesome. And I shall repost my review, actually, tomorrow. We'll post it. can't remember if I posted it. But, um, yeah, I'll post it again. Um, but the one thing I wanted to ask, actually, was why crows? Why crows? Um, crows are creepy. They're, uh, they're real evil-looking things. And... Um, <clears throat> I don't know. It's uh, it's it's. I, I've been looking kind of more into uh, kind of Norse mythos and kind of history and that kind of thing. And while crows, mostly in kind of Western culture, uh, are seen as kind of like harbingers of death and that kind of thing, and, and especially and that comes mostly because of uh, like the Black Plague in England and and you know the the crows masks and that classic kind of plague doctor sort of thing. And you know people associate crows with carry on as well and that kind of thing and so so there's a real kind of um sweeping feeling and connection to death with them because they are you know um carry on eaters really but in norse mythology they're actually associated with kind of wisdom and knowledge and memory and that kind of thing and, and odin the the old father the kind of you know the chief god um in kind of uh the new pantheon really in um Norse mythology, you know, he had a raven who was who was a messenger and who was, you know, somebody who would sort of deliver messages and, and kind of hold wisdom and knowledge and that kind of thing. And and I really enjoy trying to kind of use devices like that, you know, and kind of themes like that that are sort of double-edged and double-sided. And and I and I really enjoy leading the kind of the reader down a path that, you know, seems you know, either obvious or kind of, you know, is, is something that has a lot of kind of context and a lot of history and a lot of kind of weight behind it. And I think the crows are such a, such a powerful device that have had such a kind of, you know, um, a presence in so much kind of popular media, and especially in, you know, in the kind of the horror and the suspense genre as well. And, you know, for me, crime is, is a chance to not only kind of do something different, but also take what, you know, other people have done and, and kind of not reuse it, but try and explore my own version of it because crime, a lot of crime, pretty much all crime is very similar. You know, it has the same kind of plot elements and the same sort of beats of the story. So it's a, it's the case of like taking that and trying to do something new with it and trying to, you know, show something that people know so well and then still trying to surprise them is, you know, for me, what really makes crime special. So crows were just... Uh, you know with with jamie being in sweden and with the kind of you know for the kind of uh, feelings and the kind of sense of, of of darkness and death and mystery and kind of creepiness that i wanted to kind of capture they just kind of appealed to me as a as a really kind of good um central pillar to build the story around i think and yeah that's uh that's why i chose them hopefully you know it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked so well if we'd used pidgets you know <laughs> No, that's a fair point, actually. <laughs> the King of Pigeons could be like a spin-off story set in Trafalgar Square. It's just a homeless man, you know, <laughs> with, with, with a bag of bread, bludgeoning people. Yeah, imagine if you get enough together, then it could cause some damage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you were to take one of your characters out for a meal, who would you take and what would you ask them? Um... Probably Halberg, 
from from the last trilogy. Uh, and I'd ask her whether or not she ever spit in Wix coffee because uh, I definitely would. <laughs> uh, yeah, not going to make sense to everybody who's read that, but uh, probably not to anybody who has. <laughs> like, what? Uh, yeah, no. Um, uh, Wick or Vic was a uh, was the kind of Jamie's partner in the in the Angel Maker trilogy, and he was very uh, very sour and not very kind of uh, well socially kind of versed, and um, he used to really. Torture his, his subordinate really, and, and in his mind it was you know part of her kind of education. In her mind it was just you know borderline bullying. So it's um, yeah. So she definitely spit this coffee. I think. I mean, I, I'm like, did she? I don't know. Like, who would know? Either. <laughs> who would know? I know. <laughs> Perhaps we'll find out next time. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you were to be a fictional killer, how would you kill your victims? Um, how would I kill them? Um, I know where I'd kill them. I'd definitely kill them in the country very far away from where Jamie is. Because um, she's got a good habit of like kicking people in the head as well as lightning them and catching them. Uh, how would I kill them? <clears throat> um, honestly, I, I don't really know. Uh, How would how would I kill somebody? I, I don't know. I don't really think, but I, I you know what I think I think about how I catch killers, not how I would be a killer. All right, you know, like don't don't try and tar me with this this brush now, where, where you think oh, all crime authors must be like closet murderers. No, no, you know, but definitely definitely there'd be a wood chipper in there, and I probably burn the chips, um, and, and you know maybe some stabbing just to see how that feels. I don't know. So um, yeah. I was just going to say, most uh, authors know the answer like that. So if you give me all that tosh about not thinking about it, then I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we have to place ourselves in the mind of the killer. You know, every time we write a new novel, we have to think about how we would murder our victims and then, you know, go from there. So it's one thing I've always resisted doing, though. And I know a lot of authors do it is they write those chapters that are just all in italics, where they're kind of in the mind of the killer. And... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, I've always kind of really tried to resist doing that just to, just to try and like keep that barrier between kind of, you know, the, the goody and the baddie in the story, you know, like it's like it's such an interesting device to use both sides. But for me, it's, uh, you know, and, I, and I've done that in a different novel, like, but uh, maybe the Jamie novels, it's, um, I like to keep that kind of sense of unknown. Both stabbing and Witchipper. <laughs> Establish them, push them into a wood chipper that spews straight into like a furnace that just like, you know. Just a, you know, just a little tip, make sure they've got no false limbs or like, you know, eyes and stuff, you know, just in case. They take their eyes out and their teeth, pull their arms off and then just like torso into the chipper. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Perfect. just tie the rest of it into the fire, that's fine. You know, just FYI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, this is all hypothetical, you know. Like, yeah, of course. We're not really, not really talking about how to get away with. No. <laughs> <laughs> you little hussy, you just want to be involved, don't you? <laughs> um, and if you were fictionally killed, how, uh, who would you like to investigate your murder? Oh, Jamie. Yeah, obviously, but. Uh... She's, um, I don't know, actually, she's pretty, like, she's not inefficient, she just doesn't really follow protocol. Maybe, maybe Vic, like, he's great, like, he's a really good, like, that's the thing that, 
that always got me is that people were like, oh, you know, I don't understand why, like, he's the only one investigating, like, Angel Maker murder, you know, he seems really inefficient, and I'm like, he's not, he's great, you just, like, you just don't get his point of view, because you're kind of reading the story through Jamie's eyes, but he's actually, like, whip smart and really, like, a good investigator, so, and he, and he follows the rules as well, Jamie's just like, I'll do what I want, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. You're writing the second author that's picked your own detective. Yeah. If everyone else you pick someone else. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't read that much crime. It's um, like I find I find reading crime very. I find it very fatiguing, you know, because it's. I spent so long kind of agonizing over how to write it and doing so much research and that kind of stuff and it's it's so like my life is so about crime fiction that when I read I, I do read crime fiction but you know I try and read outside of that as well my, my my favorite authors are not kind of crime fiction authors so I'm reading a fantasy novel at the moment and then I've got a dystopian novel lined up after that and you know then we've got Marisha Guru and you know there's a new kind of Blade Crouch novel coming out as well next year so it's like I tend to read outside of crime and then try and bring those elements into it you know it's you know I read a lot of thrillers and things when I first started writing it but it's uh yeah it's not something I, I you know I don't tend to enter into you know reading crime voraciously in order to you know like I, I don't know it's, it's really weird I just it just I spend so much time writing crime that like when I come to reading I want to read something yeah you're not alone in that um, a lot of a lot of crime writers say that they don't like to read in case I accidentally pick something up from the books that they're reading and they include it. You know, they they'd rather not have anything to do with any crime fiction until they're finished writing. Yeah, it's and, and you know it's tough as well because you you obviously whenever you write you write with kind of <clears throat> your own version of what you think it should be. It's your own interpretation of the genre. Every or through says down to write crime says, oh, I love crime, you know, but I'm going to write my my version of it, what I think is the kind of, you know, my best version of it, not, you know, and, and it's never the best, because I don't think you can have uh, the best version of any kind of writing, but, you know, it's everybody's own version of it. It's like when people cover Christmas songs, you know, like, is it better than the original? Is it not? You know, it's it's just you write what you envision is your kind of version of it, and and I think when you read other people's versions of it, you know, it's like, it doesn't, chime with you it's really hard to get into it because you're like oh I wouldn't write that like that and it's really hard then to kind of separate for me the kind of the reader and the writer in that where I'm because I tend to read fantasy and sci-fi and that kind of stuff as a reader but when I write when I read crime and other people's crime and other people's thriller I read it like a writer like an editor and I'm just you know I find it really hard to kind of dissociate from that stage of like writing and, and as you said kind of magpieing and being like oh I'm going to steal that. I'm going to take that. Well, that's a really good idea, and it's it's very difficult to kind of you know get into a into a kind of flow of, of writing, oh, so reading when when you're reading kind of work from your contemporaries. Um, without spoilers, what's the most fun thing that you've written out of all your books, and what's the most difficult? Um, I really. I really like the the scene in, in Angel Maker where you know they first come into the the murder scene, um, and I really I really like 
that because it's kind of two days after murders kind of gone on and, and because it's so cold in the kind of in the forest in Sweden, everything is like perfectly preserved. And, you know, there's uh, there's kind of like translucent sheeting all around the murder scene and there's these floodlights and they're all just bearing down on this kind of um, gruesome scene of just this kind of young girl sort of, you know, posed like an angel on her knees in a kind of praying position with these sort of huge um, birch boughs kind of, you know, pushed through her back as kind of these big wings. And, you know, I really wanted to evoke like the sense of kind of gruesome beauty that uh, that like Hannibal, the TV series does so well, where they have those kind of, you know, like the body made of totem poles and like the, you know, the, the, the antler kind of um, scene in, in the first series where the kind of girls bend over and or kind of like hunched over, you know, and I, and I don't know, and I, and I just really, I really, you know, I rewrote that scene a bunch of times because I just thought that was so, so pivotal to have Jamie kind of step through into this sort of, closed off world where it's the first time really she comes face to face with you know the work of an actual serial killer who you know is doing it out of some sort of passion or kind of love for killing you know like in in the older books you know they were in the prequels especially you know the she comes across a serial killer in the third one but it's a kill of like <clears throat> you know it's a kill of the moment and as it kind of starts to unfold it's you know, she's already deep into the case before, you know, she really kind of comes face to face with the, with that kind of presentation. And, and I kind of experimented with it there, but I wanted Angel Maker to really have that as a central kind of pillar of that as the kind of the, the point of, of kind of genesis for that, for her kind of want to, to catch the person who's doing this kind of horror. So when she steps into that and she kind of walks around because she just does this loop around the kind of the scene a couple of times to take it all in and just, you know, and people have said to me, they're just like, wow, you know, like that's such a kind of visceral you know, scene really to, to kind of be in. So for me, that was the kind of, that was the one that I found the hardest, but also the most rewarding to to, to write. Because I gave that to people after I wrote it. And I was like, what do you think of this? And they were like, that's so fucked up. What, like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, <laughs> ah, so I did good. <laughs> this is why you author the weirds. The more we... The more we say, oh my God, what's wrong with you? You're like, yes, <laughs> it's like a compliment. You're just, yeah, weird, weird bunch. <laughs> and there's you guys standing by going, yay, be weirder, be weirder. <laughs> Not like you should see somebody or like, do you need help? They're just like, come on, come on, keep going. <laughs> yeah, okay, you may have a point there. Yeah, Touche. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right <laughs> anyway <laughs> um when we first started talking you said that you just moved to Canada um and Death Chorus is the first book in a new trilogy so will the next two still be set in Sweden or are you going to move Jamie um, <laughs> so we're I'm already pretty deep into the into the next one which comes out at the end of March and um that one's also going to be in Sweden. That one's going to be uh, further north again. So that one's going to be kind of in the mountains, um, just near the border between Sweden and Norway. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, Vic actually gets back in touch with Jamie and says that he needs a personal favor. Um, his uh, ex-sister-in-law's uh, family have gone missing. 
and um, and basically, you know, he's tied up with kind of cases in Stockholm, and he needs somebody to look into it. The local police have turned up nothing, and you know, he just asked Jamie if she'll go up and take a look around, and she gets up there and immediately, you know, shit starts hitting the fan as it generally does wherever Jamie goes. Um, so yeah, that's going to be kind of like the the last trilogy. It's going to be just a um, it's going to be a, a story that that is a story in itself and a self kind of uh, contained story, but then also very much leads into the third book, which then will open up kind of a bigger kind of worms and will be not like Old Blood in the sense it's going to be like an action thriller, but it will be, uh, <clears throat> you know, a, a continuation of the second story. So you could read kind of Death Course in its kind of uh, in isolation. Then if you read the second one, I think you're going to want to read the third one. You know? So it's, um, and they're going to be in Sweden. And then after that, I don't know. It's, uh, it's tough to say. Uh, I think I, I'll finish that, and then in my mind, that will be a kind of a line drawn under that little section of Jamie's life. And then probably I think I'm going to kind of continue in the same vein that she's going to be partnered with Torsen for a little bit longer, just because I think, you know, there's a lot of mileage in their relationship, and I'm kind of trying to build towards, you know, a longer-term partner, really. And, um, and yeah, we might see some old faces, we might see some new faces. I think um, generally... I don't know. I'm. It's it's tough to say. I really, I really like the idea of exploring other places. I think that you know, for me, it's a big world out there, and uh, you know, and and you know, Jamie's got some friends in you know in Interpol now, and you know, in the FBI, and back in the UK, and you know, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of possibilities, really. So I mean, we'll see. We'll see what people want. If people really like. Sweden, then you know we can definitely kind of keep it there. Um, you know, there appears to be lots of serial killers lurking around in Sweden, so I mean there's plenty of work for her. So we'll uh, yeah we'll finish the third one and then see where we are. I think. Yeah, who knew it was such a murderous country? I thought they were quite peaceful people. Yeah, well you know, is the that's 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 it, isn't it? You know, it's it's <laughs> they hide among us. <laughs> Um, do you have um, an end point in mind for Jamie? Have you ever thought about how you would finish the series with her? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like, I just, I don't ever see, I don't ever see her happily ever after for her, you know? Like, I don't, I don't ever see her becoming, you know, the kind of person to just settle down and have some kids and that kind of thing. I, you know, I think that, uh, I think that if anything, you know, I would keep her alive as a, as a mentor more than anything you know in that kind of classic role maybe that you know I've, I've i've put in so much kind of effort into into building her as a, as a person and you know i wouldn't like to let that go so if i was going to write her as an older character you know i think in her kind of like final state i would probably put her in you know the role of kind of uh, an instructor or kind of like the the older kind of grizzled detective to like a new younger sort of protagonist and um i think for me i don't think she'll ever leave the job um i think she'll she's a lifer you know she's not looking to get out um it's all she knows you know it's all she ever wants to be and it's the only way that she can kind of you know keep the spirit of her kind of father alive as well so it's yeah i think i think for jamie you know it's it's going to be finding some sort of family inside the police you know and uh Maybe Tolson will be the first the first person in that family, you know? Who knows? 
Hopefully, because them two are hilarious together. So, oh, and it, uh, it gets better than this one in, in, in the next book. So it's uh, it's funny, and uh, and with Vic coming back on the scene as well, you know, uh, there's a there's a there's a good air of kind of like jealousy underpinning it that uh, that Jamie gets very tired of very fast. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Yeah, so if you could just hurry up and write it and send over, that'll be fab. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do my best. Um, yeah, uh, no pressure, you know, it's fine. We're almost halfway through already, and it's, uh, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to pump them out, you know, this year, so it's... Um, Not like you've made a big move to another country or anything, you know, nothing major is going on. No, no, it was, <laughs> it's, like, I started writing the, uh, another kind of standalone, and I got kind of more than halfway through that um, before I started writing this one, and... Um, yeah, and I just kind of like ran out of steam because I, I was writing it kind of like as we were moving and trying to get settled and that kind of thing. And um, sorry, can you hear my dog whistling? He's like a cat. And then can you see my dog's ears sticking up because she can hear him? <laughs> yeah, no, he's just he's downstairs. He's just whining. I don't know if there's something outside, but yeah. But um, yeah, no, I, I just got halfway through that and then um, I kind of ran out. Of, not ran out of steam. I just needed a bit of space from that story, but like I just got into the next journey and then was like, oh, this feels like comfortable in the swing of this you know so we're plowing on we're steaming ahead and uh yeah hoping to do one in june one in one in march one in june and one in october and hopefully one in december as well so fingers crossed we'll have five jamie novels in the next 12 months with, with some luck and some good headwind whatever whichever wins <laughs> i think a tailwind um when you're editing what's your most overused word or phrase Oh, people have people have definitely um, pulled this up. They uh, they say that I use uh, she rolled her lips into a line or she pursed her lips, you know, like way too much. <clears throat> but it's I don't know. I, I just I don't even think about that. That's just that's just like a, a default expression I see for Jamie. She's just like mm. <laughs> just doing this kind of like bullshit kind of thing. So um, that and people say I use the F word too much as well. But I mean like. I'm just saying, if you're chasing a serial killer and you've got a guy dressed up as a giant bird, like, you know, chasing you through the forest and, you know, you think people are trying to kill you, you're going to be saying shit and fuck a lot, you know? Like, it's, like, you know, but who knows? It's just, I don't know. It, I always find that funny when people are like, oh, like, I'm totally happy with, like, you know, all the gore and the death and, like, a kid being, like, strangled and, like, you know, mounted on a, on a thing and, you know, people being, like, gutted and shot and strangled and, like, the crap kicked out of them but like the f word that's where i draw the line yeah i know people are weird and you'll never please any all of them so <laughs> i it's definitely something i'm gonna i need you know i need to kind of be considerate of at least because you know it's, it's one of those uh, it's one of those things somebody told me it was a crutch once that like you know swearing and, and like using capital letters and stuff you know if, like you want something shouted you know you should be able to like infer that without the use of capital letters if you like you know you want something to seem like shocking you know you, you don't you shouldn't need to use kind of blasphemy or like profanity you know because I use Jesus a lot as well like but it's uh it's it's all a learning curve you know and I'm still learning I think we all are <laughs> Um, if you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend the day with? Um, probably the Ray Bradbury or Blake Crouch. I mean, Bradbury is you know, one of the kind of the pillars of dystopian fiction, and Fahrenheit remains one of my kind of favorite novels. But maybe Ishiguro. Oh, I don't know. 
it's hard, it's hard you know, because like, I'd be very selfish because I'd just be there with a notepad, like asking them loads of questions. But um, they'd be like, why did I agree to this? You know, like, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> I was dead. I was happy. I was sleeping in my coffin and then just like some random guy comes and like rips the lid off and just wakes me up. And... <laughs> so I go, what happens? Like, how do you do this? How do you do that? So, yeah, probably, probably I think Ishiguro or Bradbury would be my top base. And if you're able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you go? To the nearest point in the future post-COVID, probably. <laughs> Um, you know, no, um, it's, it's so hard. Like that's such a, such a difficult question. Cause it's, you know, <clears throat> it's like you go past like 1980 backwards and like modern medicine is terrible, you know? And like, you think about going forward and you're like, you know, you watch the news and you're like climate disaster imp impending. So like, you got to wonder is, is this the golden age, you know, like, we, as bad as that sound is like the next well I, you know i think i think between like 2000 and like 2020 were like the, the, the they'll they'll be looked back on i think as like the golden period of of history where where you know technology was you know came on leaps and bounds you know and, and we had you know the, the introduction of kind of micro you know, microchips and, and quantum computing and, and all of those kind of you know, medical procedures and things which like changed the world and, and then I think in the next 10 years you know with, with the climate and things we're just going to hit a tipping point and you know it's going to be disaster so you know I think probably you know as, as close as I could get in the future where like COVID's done would <laughs> be great because then you can still enjoy it before like you know, the world dies <laughs> as bad as that sounds you know it's not to, not to put a downer on this or anything no, I totally agree. Yeah, if we could see that date, that would be bliss. Just to know that it does actually end. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I mean, you know, there's. Every, you know, every, you know, you read certain news outlets and they say the end is coming. You read other news outlets and they say there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think. <clears throat> I think until everybody's on the same page, it's you know, and until until you know the longer time goes on the more research there is being done on it and the you know the better the vaccines are becoming and the better the you know kind of um, PPE and, and avoidance and everything and tracking is, is coming you know I think I think if anything we'll never get into this state again with you know if there is another pandemic I think we'll just be much much better prepared to kind of implement you know these kind of long-term solutions and stop it before it begins but it's tough like I like I'm excited to I'm excited to look back on this period and you know and, and you know you'll be telling children about it in 20 or 30 years you know be like we lived through that you know in the same way that like you know people live through other you know disasters and, and life you know world-changing events so it's yeah it's crazy to think about it. it's just you know the, the scale of what's going on is just it's just mad it's plenty of uh Plenty of inspiration and fodder for dystopian novels ticking away in the back of the mind. I know that much stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very bored of living history now, though. I'd yeah. quite happily not live history and for it to be history. Yeah, there's, there's definitely that. It's, um, I think it's time now. I think everybody just wants to go back to normal. But all we can do is just you know, survive for now. Yes. Yeah, on a much more light-hearted note, where's the funniest or strangest place you've ever woke up? The funniest or strangest place I've ever woken up? Um, 
I actually, I'm a terrible sleeper. I, I like, I don't fall asleep anywhere. So um, it's really, it's really, it's really tough. Um, like I, uh, I don't know. I don't think I've woken up anywhere really strange. Or, like I don't think I've ever done that thing where I've woken up and been like, I don't know where I am. So I'm, I'm that one. I'm that person that's like shaking people awake at like 5 a.m. Like I'm going home. <laughs> They're like, you're really drunk. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> and then I'm like ringing taxis and they're like it's five in the morning and I'm like okay well GPS then I'm just gonna run home and then I don't know like let's it's happened a few times <laughs> where I've like <laughs> like done a done a marathon walk home and I mean like if I'd have just stayed for another hour I probably could have just caught a bus or something but no it's just like but uh yeah what can we do so. um if a genie was to grant you three wishes what would you wish for um <clears throat> See, like I'm, I'm very uh, a bit existentialist because I'm just like, so I, I often think about this kind of thing, and I'm like, oh, would you, would you wish like immortality or the ability to never get hurt? And then I'm like, would you'd never feel fear, then you never feel enjoyment because you know there'd be no risk. So I think the ability to heal any like um, any uh, injury or sickness would be really good. Um, the uh, the ability to do that in others as well would be really nice because I just think I just I've got so many so many people that I know that uh, you know have have been hurt by you know, sickness or injury and just have never bounced back and it's just such a it's difficult you know, to watch that so I think you know I want to be able to ensure that for myself and for you know the people I love and then the third one would be to never put on weight when I drink beer. That, that would be that would be excellent to be honest because that's becoming a real issue um, so yeah three pretty grounded ones i guess you know like i think at the end of the day if you've you know like i know plenty of people who've got plenty of money and you know, that doesn't seem to buy happiness and, and plenty of people who've got plenty of money and that doesn't seem to buy health either so you know my, my father always said he's, you know he's like as long as you've got as long as you've got your family and you've got your health you know there's there's nothing else you you can want for really so for me it would be those three because uh you know i'm like health family fear perfect you know? it's good to see where your priorities lie anyway so yeah i mean like pause in time would be pretty sick as well you know i like that um or like um being able to win like the lottery i guess every time i play the lottery that i would win i mean like you definitely get investigated by like you know <laughs> tax people <laughs> like they'd be like hang on a second you won the jackpot three times and i'm like well i'm just lucky i guess <laughs> you don't need to you'd need to just win that like one big one and then i want to question it and you just have so much money you wouldn't know what to do with it yeah, like i yeah i feel like that would like i i i i, I really enjoy um I really enjoy writing and I want to make it a career and I love the, you know, I love the kind of the grind and the journey almost. That's what keeps the kind of the fire stoked in me. So I feel like if I won 160 million pounds, I don't, I don't feel like I'd be like motivated or inspired to write very much anymore. So I don't know, like, I'm kind of like, I don't know, take it or leave it with, with the kind of, with the loads and loads of money thing. Cause I just, I just don't know if that would be, I don't know if I, I personally would find that fulfilling. I, I, I like to work. I like to create, I like to, to grind. So it's uh, yeah, you know, like probably the only person in the world who'd be like, yeah, no, I don't want, no, I mean like, 
if you offered it to me, I'd take it, <laughs> you know? But like, you know, would I, would I waste a wish on that when I could just be like, no, I just love my health and, you know, the health of my family and loads of beer. I'm like, no. Yeah, I wouldn't offer you the whole 160 million. I, I might give you one, yeah, just I mean, to tide you would, over. One, one would, one would be perfect. You know, like if I could win a million bucks, that would be great. It's uh, you know, you buy a house mortgage free and just like you know put it away and you know use it for a rainy day. That would be really, that would be really nice. I don't really want that. 160 is just a bit obnoxious, isn't it? You know. So. I don't think I've now 16p at the minute, so I couldn't even do the lottery if I wanted to. So. Yeah. yeah, don't hold your breath anytime soon. <laughs> oh, no, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I did read something the other day that said you're three times more likely to get struck by lightning than you are to win the lottery. So, I mean, it's like, I mean, it, if, if, if that's the price, though, it's like, would you get struck by lightning three times for $160 million? It's like, maybe. <laughs> like, yeah. Depends. I'd, I'd go one for one as well. One, one strike for a million. Because, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, I, and then, yeah, well, at least then you can, like, you get the first strike, you get the first million, and then you can decide if it's worth it then, whether you want to go back <laughs> yeah. to another two, and then, like, you know. Depends on how quick you spend a million, I suppose. Once you've got the house, the car, yeah. private jet, I reckon, because, you know, to travel, you've got to do it in style. You know, yeah. see how much change is left after that, and if it's not much, then, yeah, think about the other couple. I think, uh, I think I'd go with a boat rather than a jet, though, like a big, nice, like, big yacht would be cool. Yeah, I'm not very good on the water. I'd rather fly. <laughs> I puke. <clears throat> yeah, so definitely flying for me. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that's fair enough then. Yeah, I, I hate flying. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't hate flying, but like, I prefer like driving. Like we used to drive down to Europe from, from the UK and that was just so much, so much nicer than flying. You know, just, you're just cruising and you're just in comfort and you get to see the world and you stop whenever you want. And, you know, it's really nice. Obviously pre-COVID. So. <laughs> but what can you do? Um, what was your favourite first um, as an author? <clears throat> My favourite first. Um, I think. I think when you when you first start writing, you get a lot of this thing where people ask you what you do, and you say, you know, you've written a book or something like that, and they're like, oh, I'd love to read it, and you you know, and you give the manuscript to people and loads of people and they just don't read it, you know, um, because a lot of the time when we're starting out as, as writers, it's, you know, we're not very good. Like it's a, it's a long learning curve, of like self-education. Um, and I think that, that, you know, that happens a lot. And a lot of people just, you know, are very like polite in the sense that they're like, oh, I'd love to read it. I'd love to read it. Send me a link. I'll buy a copy or whatever. And then when you see them next, they're like, oh crap, this guy, I haven't read his book. Um, and, and that goes on and on and on. So, you know, it took a take, it take, it took a long time for me to actually tell people that I was, you know, an author or a writer because, you know, most of the time I just say, oh yeah, I'm a copywriter. And, you know, and then afterwards they were like, oh, I found out you actually write books and this kind of thing. And it just, I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to save you from having to like be polite and tell me you want to read it and then never do and then feel really awkward every time you see me. Um, but yeah, I guess the first time that I met somebody and they said, you know, oh, I'll read your book. And then they actually did and said, oh, it was really good. So I, uh, I think that was, uh, I was one of my partner's family members actually. And that was really nice. And I was like, what, you actually read it? And they were like, yeah, I read a lot of crime fiction. So I gave it a go and, you know, I thought it was really good. And I was like, wow, okay. Is, uh, is this what success feels like? So, 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 yeah. 
fair. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty wild kind of moment. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, I can't think of any more questions for you, unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you about that you want to tell us. Oh, I think I've been talking for far too long already. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything, uh, anything anybody would like to know? I don't really know. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, follow me on Facebook for... Uh, for any updates on the series and um yeah uh, i'm also running an instagram now and we're going to be posting you know some some more kind of interesting videos uh so follow me on instagram as well uh the details are on my facebook or you can just search for morgan green author on instagram um yeah the next jamie novel comes out tomorrow it's called uh death course it's available on <clears throat> Kindle as of tomorrow. Uh, it's also available on paperback right now if you want to go and buy yourself a copy uh, for $9.99. Um, Angel Maker as well. The first uh, book in the kind of the Swedish saga is uh, is on offer right now for 99 pence. And as of the 1st of January, uh, Rising Tide, the second book in the trilogy will also be on offer for the month at 99 pence. Um, so yeah, if you want to grab yourself a bargain for Christmas, you can do that. Uh, other than that, yeah, the next one comes out in January. Lots more other stories coming this year, and um, that's pretty much it, I think. Oh, yeah, and uh, they're now on audiobook as well. So yeah, I struck a uh, struck a little agreement with a uh, with a great kind of production company called uh, WF House, who produce audiobooks for you know, uh, thousands of authors and uh, you know some big crime authors as well, like Simon McLeave. And um, yeah, the Angel Maker is already out on audiobook. It's narrated by the uh, lovely uh, Sophia Engstrand, who is actually mixed Swedish and kind of British heritage, just like Jamie. So she sounds very British and neutral like Jamie. And she's got that really kind of authentic uh, kind of pronunciation of all the Swedish stuff. So it's really, really good. It's, um, it's totally painful for me to listen to somebody read my own work. It's, it's so cringy. It's horrible. It's like nails on the chalkboard for me. But other people tell me it's... Uh, it's kind of a really good read. So, um, yeah, if you want to listen, you can listen and, and uh, pick yourself up a copy and Rising Tide will be out soon, uh, as will all the subsequent books. So, yeah, so there's really for you guys absolutely no excuse not to read them because they're available on paperback and Kindle and they're on Kindle Unlimited and they're available on, you know, audiobook. And, you know, and if none of those suit you and you don't want to pay for them, just give me a call and I'll just read them to you. So, because I don't really know. Um, Plus, they're all amazing. Uh, I think I haven't. I've given them all five stars so far. I think haven't I? The uh, ones I've you, read. Yeah, you're 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 far too kind though. But um, I, I really do appreciate it. And, um, I I don't. I mean, I I give them more willingly than Leslie, but I don't give them unless they're deserved. So. Well, uh, thank you. It's uh, really um, it's it's so tough to know whether they're actually like any good. You write something and you're just so. Especially, especially after I after I write something and finish it, I'm like, oh, that's a good one. And I'm really sure. And I'm like, oh, that's that's the best one yet. Or like, people are really going to like this. And then I start giving them to like advanced readers and they you know, come back and they're just like, oh, yeah, you know, it is really good. It is really good. And I'm like, you're lying. It's terrible. Why are you being so nice? And then, you know, it kind of leads up to, to release and just like the first reviews start coming in. And I'm like, you know, you, you're sort of so like, oh, no, this isn't going to last. It's like a, such a such a weird sense of trepidation that like the that 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 you kind of surrounded yourself or you filled your kind of advanced readers list with people who just like how you write but that the actual general population are going to be like what is this pile of garbage that's really kind of scary it's really nerve-wracking to kind of lead up to a release so for tomorrow i'm 
I don't know, yeah, nervous, worried, I guess, but it's, uh, it's all part of the fun, you know. It's... You have to, Leslie. You don't have that worry. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, I want to keep writing. I want to keep doing better. And, you know, and I, and I, as much as I love reading kind of positive reviews, the ones that I take the most note of are the negative reviews. And I really kind of read them and I read them and I read them and I read them not to, not to get hung up on them, but to kind of try and extricate from them what it is that people didn't engage with. Because, you know, for me, I want to, I want to keep improving. And I think that, you know, it's, uh, <clears throat> I think you can learn so much from the people who give you that kind of you know, that good um, constructive negative feedback and even the people who were just like I hated it because it was this or it was that or you know whatever it's like you can still take stuff away from that and still try and build a novel that is closer to that version of your version of the perfect example of what you're trying to write and I think that's the for me the kind of the, the overly philosophical kind of nuance of whether or not a book is good. I don't think it's ever a case of just, is it good? It's like, what were you trying to do? And how close to that kind of the perfect version of what you were trying to do did you get? Like, as, as like stupid as that sounds, it's, you know, it's like, you can never be perfect. You can never, you can never be the best or write the best version, but you can try to write the best version of the thing that you're trying to write. Or something I don't know. It's very early here, and I feel like my caffeine levels are like dipping. Because I've questioned you. Yeah, well, it's made you think. Blast. It's no, it really has been a blast. I, uh, you know, we did we did a few interviews and things pretty much a year ago now when when Angel Maker came out, and I did one on UKCBC, and uh, <clears throat> and yeah, and it's just been kind of a whirlwind sort of twelve months, you know, with books and COVID and moving and everything. It's just you know all just feels like it's gone by in a blur and you know it's like thinking about when when covid first kicked in it was you know in sorry in march 2020 and um yeah since then it just i don't know it just feels like a time warp you know from then to now i just can't recall any one specific moment in the last you know 22 months or something you know it's just yeah i know i've been doing these for over just over a year and i think i've done over I think I'm like 220 odd now and it's just weird like and they're booked till next November really well it's I mean it's such a a huge thing for authors you know so we're all very thankful and uh, and hopefully you know the people who watch them and you know discover new authors and and get to know you know the authors themselves and I think that as much as it as much as it is a golden age of like technology and life and, and that kind of thing and you know that the world is in a golden place I think writing though it's you know and kind of books and things though there's so much negativity surrounding like is print media going to be dead is like the novel dead are like readerships dwindling is the next generation going to read I think that if we're in the twilight years of of kind of print media or of books then you know I think all we can do is just really embrace what technology is doing alongside pushing kind of like novels out, you know, in, in terms of things like this, you know, like author interviews and, you know, that you would have used to have had to have like gone and bought something like the Paris Review, like a really niche magazine to like read, you know, you can now just engage with an author on their social media page and, and they'll come back to you because it's so easy to do. You don't have to like sit down and, and answer a bag of fan mail one by one now or like employ somebody to pretend to be you to do that you can just sit down and just answer people back and I and I love talking to you know to readers and I and I've got like a like I don't know a 
few dozen long-running conversations just through Messenger and things on Facebook where people have just reached out to me and they've either been like, oh, you know, I was given one of your books or I read one of your books and I really like this and I really like that. And I'm like, what happened to this character? And like, what happened, you know, after this? Or like, what did, what were you doing when you wrote this scene? Or like, you know, like, and it's, and it's great, you know, it's so nice to be able to engage with people in a really like organic way. So if anybody out there, you know, has, has read anything of mine or wants to read anything of mine or needs some more convincing, like, reach out, like, let's talk. I love talking to, to people, you know? Yeah. So. I'm sorry, because you, you, you were like, oh, is there anything else you think you want to be asked? And then I just started talking for 10 minutes. So I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's fine. This is, that was your moment. So there you go. That was my moment and I completely bungled it as I usually do. So that's, no, that's you didn't. Don't be a tart. Pull yourself together, man. So I would just say I'll post all the links for your books uh, for the new one tomorrow. I will repost my review and I will remind people of the offers. Perfect, thank and, you. And I will bully them into buying them because, you know, I can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll get everyone to message you and then you might regret saying that. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think I will. Yeah, we'll see. I'll see that as a challenge. You realise that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, hey, if, if, if everybody that I can speak to, you know, becomes, becomes a reader and they, and they find some enjoyment in the books and I can give you know some some enjoyment or escapism you know during these times to people then you know it's worth answering you know some messages and, and there's been some really lovely messages coming through over the Christmas period as well and uh, <clears throat> it's been really really rewarding to uh, you know to be part of of this community really of readers and writers and you know it's yeah I love it it's been it's been a ride you know so so yeah hopefully one's going to continue and that's it. <laughs>